everyone, it's Zach, and um, Mr. Saget has an announcement to make. Different and so new Was like any other Until I met you And then it happened It took me by surprise I knew that you felt it too I could see it by the look in your eyes Sweeter than wine Softer than a summer's night Everything I wanna have Whenever I hold you tight This magic moment While your lips are close to mine Will last forever Kiss being blown. We are on the air for another special edition, Filthy Armenian Adventure, um, with very special guest for the very first time appearing on an actual FAA uh, affiliate FAA show. Um, you've heard him on the Back Wall. You've heard him on uh, the Perfume Nationalist. You've heard him on his own spectacular podcast. I'm so popular. And it's Patreon extension, Sirens, which everyone is highly recommended to subscribe to. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Zach Langley Chichi. Konnichiwa. I understand why you, it took you so long to invite me on because I was blue balling you onto I'm So Popular for about a year and a half. So <laughs> I, I'm, I, still haven't, but... I still have not been on I'm So Popular solo. I was I was, ta- I was last second invited uh, to uh, tag on to one you already had planned with Jack. So let's just be clear that this mm-hmm. is we're breaking. This is the first uh, uh, solo. Actually, this is the first solo podcast we've done together, like, or or head to head. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Well, I'm glad to be here. I love you know I love FAA, and you've been making so many wonderful strides this year. So I'm very privileged to be a part of the project. Well, um, you know, I think you're coming on at the right time. Of course, ideally, we would have been doing this in person in mm-hmm. in, in vintage FAA uh, non-special edition style had you followed through with your promises to come to L.A. on Christmas. But I knew you were going to bring this up. I knew it. <laughs> I mean, just I just have to it. I just have to point <laughs> out that certain that certain vows were broken. Um, and uh, you instead went on a marvelous little, a marvelous little escapade in in Okinawa, <laughs> a, a place right. in somewhere in Japan. Apparently, if you go to Japan, this is something that maybe young people should know. If you ever move to Japan as a white boy, <laughs> you're never coming back out. There's no, <laughs> you're never gonna leave. There's, they don't let oh, you no, leave. It's true. You're, no, I'm this like, is like Iwo Jima. <laughs> this is like the people who are fighting in Iwo, G- Iwo Jima until like 1978. Mm-hmm. You are yeah. never leaving Japan ever. Is that basically the fact? 
Okay, well, it's like Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which I just covered on my show while I was in Okinawa. It's like I'm in the Japanese war camp and I'm being held hostage by beautiful Japanese chinko, which for you Westerners means penis. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stuck. I can't get out. You're right. The thing was is that I wasn't chinko? only betraying chinko. 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 Okay, that's all right. That's, very, that's cutting it close to something, another kind of word, you know what I mean? Yeah, all you have to lose is an O, and then we get the way you would describe <laughs> a Japanese penis. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I betrayed everyone by not coming to LA. I betrayed my family, I betrayed my friends. I wanted to, I won't make any excuses. I didn't. I'll come this year, I swear. And, uh, you know, but you betraying your family for greener pastures is a theme that uh, it has been has been kind of uh, part of your entire career in show business. I mean, um, <laughs> one reason that I've had you that I, I thought you'd be the, the perfect guest for tonight's topic is the fact that you debuted an in show business as the lead character in an episode of reality <laughs> television, uh, a, a TV series, a short-lived TV series called Summer Days with Bob Saget. Um, Close. This, what is it? Strange Days with Sorry. Bob Saget. Strange Days with Bob Saget. Uh, mm-hmm. It lasted for six episodes, the, the penultimate of which is at an Oregon, a day, an Oregon summer camp. Where Northern California, Northern California summer camp, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, where Bob Saget on this fakakta premise of he's going to, you know, go see what summer camp is like because he never went. This is a very cash grab casual show he's doing in mm-hmm. his kind of like in his, you know, being kind of a, a, a jokey dad type of thing. Uh, he's the kind of like being being kind of like Mr. Full House dad but going and doing little real life things and and you know commenting wryly about them but what he didn't plan on was running into the zach train because a person, <laughs> because one of the campers at this camp is a 12 13 year old zach langley who is about to hammer mr saget with an entire bag of pathos. I mean, you just you take over the episode. I'm gonna actually. I don't want to get into it r- right away because I uh-huh. I want it connects in a extremely spooky way. It connects with the ultimate reveal in the rehearsal, uh, which is the show. I want I wanted to talk this 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 episode. We're talking about Nathan Fielder and his very particular brand and and style of television. Um, which date? Which he started with the show Nathan for You, um, which he continued as a visible guiding hand in the very interesting HBO series that is currently ongoing called How to with John Wilson, and which I think he's taken to an altogether new level with this new show mm-hmm. that debuted earlier this year um, or 2022 called The Rehearsal on HBO. And I just finally watched it over the over the you know holidays, um, and. And I felt like something very interesting is going on here because it related specifically, firstly, to the sort of reality, the reality experiments and interventions that I've been doing on Filthy Armenian Adventures that many others have been doing in the podcasting realm. Um, and also with the, uh, I, I mean, with a, with a kind of very noticeable temper of our time. 
Um, and I thought you'd be really the perfect person to talk about it because uh, you, you're kind of experimenting with the same material. Um, mm-hmm. So just to give a, if you don't know who Nathan Fielder is, Nathan For You was a show that debuted on Comedy Central for about four seasons in the early 2010s. Um, very funny show. It had, it was a, the premise was that Nathan would come up with like business ideas to save struggling businesses in LA. One of the perks of the show was how it kind of brought uh, real LA characters onto the screen mm-hmm. in a way that no other show has done. Real, I mean, I, that I can think of. Like you, you meet several Armenian gas station owners, several Armenian <laughs> taxi. Like every episode has some random Armo in it. It was like the that was one of the funny little things to me. You know, uh-huh. um, what were your impressions of the show uh, of Nathan of Nathan for you? Well, I was watching it, like, right when it came out before anyone had, not to sound, you know, like I'm sucking my own dick, but I was very into Nathan Fielder, like, from the get-go. Yeah, so um, was I. Because my, my friend Kyle, <clears throat> who's, like, a little uh, media gay in New York now, when we were in college together and in my fraternity, we um, bonded over watching Nathan for you every week. I even have, like, I still have my Summit Ice jacket, like, yeah. uh, that came with the, you know, anti-Nazi uh, you know, propaganda in it. So I was really fascinated by the show because it scratches the same itch to me that the comeback does, which is this um, horrifying, bright, harsh light of reality in the mode of reality TV. It's like exposing the most uncomfortable, like glaringly overhead lighting lit um ways in which people start behaving under pressure and observation. And it makes, like, the stuff that I find interesting in things like Jersey Shore and, like, Keeping Up with Kardashians, the stuff that's kind of buried under the gauze there is, like, ripped up to the surface in Nathan For You. And it's... <clears throat> sometimes it's it's very humanistic, but it's also often sinister and cynical. Um, but I, I think it's a very well-rounded, like, human experiment. And I thought it was... Um, both uh, beautiful and unwieldy in equal measure when I was first watching it. It's absolutely... Well, first of all, it's hilarious. And I I got onto it very early because, you know, I, I have an interest in, in comedy. And immediately my friend Mark um, told me to... Uh, mm-hmm. Who, you know, clued me in on it. And, and it was just a show that I watched kind of as it came out, um, as the episodes each week. It was like... It was it was right up. It was it was you know come to think of it at the time, it kind of came out in uh, let me get the exact year, but it kind of came out right as, you know, after Thirty Rock ended, um, yeah, and so it was kind of like there was it was Louis' show and it was Nathan Nathan for you that really were carrying that first half of the 2010s in terms of comedic television that was interesting and bold. I'm sure I'm forgetting some shows too, but like the the 2000s golden era was kind of coming to an end and this was surviving that um and there was a certain you know his comedic voice bordered on or the voice of the show i should say bordered on the hipster ironic uh uh you know skid row it bordered on it in certain moments because he would have the camera on while people would say something you know, obviously racist or obviously weird. Uh, and and you would think that he's kind of just leaving it on and you would think that the joke sometimes is, uh, you know, can she say that? 
But it was also, but it became clearer and clearer as the show went on that he was after something much, much deeper than trying to kind of corner people in gotcha moments where they would act especially uh, reactionary or so, or embarrassing. Um, it, it, but it toyed with that to a degree that he's that that I think it's it's clear that he's safe that he has completely avoided. Uh, he he toy it it it. It got it got near that ditch, but he, it never went into it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's definitely like a humanistic drive behind it that gives um, basically anyone who's cursed with an appearance on the show. It definitely like gives them uh, room to like show them as people, and you get like you said this very fully fleshed out LA. Like <laughs> it feels so real. Um, and I remember actually when I was watching it in college, my friend Emily, who was the daughter of Taiwanese immigrants, uh, she noticed very early, she said, this show sure has, like, a lot of immigrant, like, small business owners getting played for laughs. And <laughs> I was yeah. like, it's true. Um, and they were talking about this on Red Scare, but I don't think it's necessarily as, uh, like, evil or dark as one might first imagine, because it really does have, like, that spark of life and a lot of um, the ironic hipster detachment that Nathan plays in his character is subterfuged with like a true passion for these people. Like the reoccurring Bill Gates impersonator um, is well, that was like, the yeah yeah. Go ahead. No, no, sorry to interrupt. That was that that was the so the 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 reoccurring Bill Gates impersonator is where the show ended. Um, and it ended mm-hmm. on this very long and surprising note, which was a 90-minute episode or an 80-minute episode without commercials, two hours with commercials, where, where Nathan Fielder returns to this character that he once hired as part of his business scam, one of his business schemes uh, for a taxi company or some whatever. So I, forget the, I forget the first episode. He had hired this Bill, Bill Gates impersonator. Um, a decent, decent Bill Gates impersonator, one might say. Pretty good Bill Gates impersonator. Not physically <laughs> so much, but the voice was not bad. Um, and this is just a dopey guy. And and he 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 returns to him and decides that he wants to help him find the one true love of his life who, with whom he broke it off for mysterious reasons way back when he was a young man. He's now 78 years old. And so they go back to Arkansas or wherever to chase down the love of his life. And he's a completely lonely man who lives alone in L.A., who is a very, very low-level actor, if that's even how he makes his money. We don't even know for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he is the very image of the failed Hollywood dream because it turns as it turns out in the long episode in the basically documentary – he is going to, um, I mean, he, he left. One of the reasons that he broke it off was to pursue his dreams in Hollywood. And so there's an extremely sad note that kind of like a stri- swell of sad strings that descends when you reveal that and you start to, you start to kind of wonder for yourself too, are, am I this person? <laughs> am I, have, have, is my pursuit of, is my pursuit of, uh, uh, of, of fame and, and glory leading me to a place like this? Um, and it's a very it's a very challenging episode. It's a very very emotional piece of work, and a lot of people really loved it. And that was his final episode of the of the series. Um, and it 
in it, it basically foreshadowed this new series, The Rehearsal. But before we get to The Rehearsal, yeah, I mean, I still want to say, like, yeah, I was watching the uh, the episode with uh, one of the gas Armenian gas station owners where he offers his idea is to do a rebate, is to do really cheap gas with a rebate. And that's the guy who drinks his, who wants to drink his grandson's pee, He right? literally wants to drink his grandson. Yeah, when he, as a joke, Nathan talks about how at one point in the rebate process, the people would have had to drink each other's pee. And then, and then this guy starts talking about how, well, sometimes pee can be good for you. Like, my grandson's pee is pure. <laughs> and when I have some trouble, <laughs> I drink it. And, and we're just... <laughs> and so there are all these, like, one, you know, all these hilarious things. It's, a, it's also a, a work of first-rate trolling. It's, like, major troll yeah. action. Um, I, in, one, in the course of one episode, Nathan, Nathan I, sets up, like, a fake, like... A rescue scenario with animals at a zoo that he records like where he puts up he puts all these like underground things that that make it seem like this this fucking animal is jumping in the water and actually swimming to rescue this other animal that's dying takes a video of it that goes legit viral on youtube later in mm-hmm. the series he opens up a shop right around where i live on hillhurst in las Feliz. Uh, he opens up a dumb Starbucks. Dumb Starbucks, which was a, which I remember happening before it was depicted on the show. Yeah, like yeah, dumb it was Starbucks. It, yeah, it was a it was sensation. Like a Facebook headline. It yeah. was he would this frequently happen on. I mean, when I say frequently, at least in these two examples, it happened where he would the the dumb Starbucks thing absolutely became a national headline and. Way after that, it turns out it was neither Nathan Fielder plotting yeah. the whole thing for his show. P- perfectly executed, perfectly schemed, everything. Like you know, he he's had, he had that that level of his finger on the pulse. I mean, he's really like mm-hmm. the smartest guy on television, working in television, as far as I can tell. Um, and did you ever notice that like before the rehearsal, it was extraordinarily difficult to recommend the show to people and get them to watch it and get them to understand because. I think I tried introducing it to maybe like six or seven people and I failed every time because me too. Yeah. The the tone and the balance of like reality and performance was so unpalatable to people that it often enraged them and like frustrated them and I immediately thought it was like genius art like um I think the moment it first like clicked with me was um smoking aloud when they like create that uh fake theatrical performance w- through like a, a law in california that allows oh. you to smoke as long as it's uh yeah like done for a theatrical production and then they reproduce the show like in its entirety like after like recording these people just like smoking at the bar like that was the moment for me but for some oh, reason yeah. it really just disgusts people that these layers of illusion and fiction aren't like made more augmented and oblique no people are absolutely true i mean when i say yeah i i just like even among the people i recommended it to who could reliably like it there was it was Mm kind of it was like similar to recommending red scare and it was sim and and in some ways similar to recommending curb your enthusiasm where Mm -hmm. there it's so awkward for certain people to encounter a tone that they're not familiar with and they don't know what to make of it and they freak out. And they also, you know, what they really do, both with Red Scare, with Curb, and I mean, with both and both of those examples, and with Nathan, uh, Nathan for you is, they, because they were tricked, they they or they feel like they were tricked for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they then enact this extremely high standard like of quality where they're like, oh, okay, well, this was funny, but that wasn't so funny. 
that wasn't that one wasn't well this was, was funny but that one wasn't really funny at all and it's like <laughs> who the fuck are you comparing this shit to i mean you know like have a little patience uh you know like that this is just something we i think we it's in it's in most of us i mean i don't want to like absolve myself of this either because it did it took me a few episodes of curb to really get it too mm-hmm. although you know once i got it it was like because the problem with me was everyone was t- telling me for years that i I'm, i remind I'm, I'm larry david this is in my 20, early 20s. I had no idea who Larry David was. I hadn't seen Curb. Everyone was talking about Curb. Finally, I watched it, and with some measure of dismay, I accepted the fact, my, you know, the resemblance <laughs> to Larry David. Uh-huh. But... Well, I think that instinct um, to radically overcompensate for your confusion and confounded reaction to something by cherry-picking things that you tritely like in things that you condemn is so prevalent and people can't just swallow entire artistic efforts whole. Like Red Scare is especially like culpable for that sort of reading. Like basically every like young woman listening to Red Scare in the year of our Lord, 2023, just like goes, why can't they do more episodes on Mulholland Drive? And people even do the same (laughs) with Jack. I love perfume. I just don't understand all of these politics or people do it with my show they're like oh zach's so cool but like why does he have to have all of these fascists on his show? it's like oh my god you have to just take the whole thing in and when someone is creating an, uh, an elusive artistic product that's beyond your understanding you have to digest it and process it and make it into your whole being instead of just being annoying and you have creating to learn- these weird systems <laughs> yeah you have to learn how to just breathe and let it go a little deeper and let it go a little deeper and let it go a little yeah. deeper until that extreme discomfort you felt upon initial penetration turns into pleasure. But people don't know this. They have to learn the hard way. Um, so the, they, they uh, yeah, it's a, it is a, it is a common, it is a very common obstacle to, to, to trying to create something that has not been done before in a manner that has not been tried before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very common obstacle. It makes it very hard. I mean, one of the things I would like to, if I were to meet, and I'm sure at some point I will, because I don't see why it should be so fucking impossible, but if I were to interview Nathan Fielder at some point, I'm, I'm one of the things I'm dying to know is just how he got through the cracks, how he, how he got his vision greenlit in the first place, um, and also how he actually like behind the scenes production. And I've heard some interviews, but it doesn't really get too, he doesn't get too detailed, but like just how he actually pulls this off because it's easy enough to just, it's, you know, once you see that, okay, you've got an idea, you've got some characters, you've got some people that are working out for you. You've got an idea that's, that's like one of his business ideas. And I know he would talk about, he'd have several sketch, he'd have several ideas that didn't pan out and he would just dump those and they would just show the ones that did pan out or that did work. And, you know, but there are budgets and there are very there are very there are real limits to how one can how much one can go around uh shooting in any of these situations no matter how plush your budget is it's it's it has limits and so one of the things i'm most impressed with is just how he uh, he's clearly working within those limits um, and it takes it to a whole new level with the, the rehearsal um, but it's something that he did really well in Nathan for you which is like just when you think you just when you think you know what the game is of the particular little sketch idea of a concept that he's 
he is he is afflicting on reality. He takes it somewhere completely different. Like in the, you know, in the in the uh, uh, the rebate one with the gas station, he, he the, the whole scheme is that in order for them to in order for them to get the rebate, they're going to have to go to the top of a hike to the top of a mountain, which takes two hours by foot minimum. Um, and sure enough, many people are down to do this <laughs> for their $15 rebate. They're yeah. literally down <laughs> to spend all day and overnight in a mountain. And so each, each step of the way is like a surprise. Cause like first his plan is that no one's actually going to be down to go hike up a mountain, uh, deep in the mountains of, uh, the Mount Baldy or wherever near Arrowhead, uh, where he's hid the, the rebate box. And then they not only are down to do that, they're down to, they're down to go through all these challenges. They're down to sleep in a fucking tent at night sleep over at night and then finally in the morning he tells them there is no there is no rebate but each step of the way it's like he he heightens it one level one level beyond what you would imagine that's kind of part of the fun and excitement of the show and you see just how much real normal people clearly not after fame in the way they would be in another reality show or like i i always see i was always bumped off of reality shows from the before they even I even could even get into them because I was like I never believed that this is that these are real people doing real things. I just mm-hmm. never bought it. I don't care if it's Survivor. I don't care if it's um I mean Survivor is different cuz it's a game show. I could probably accept that even though I never got into it. Um but like any of the other ones, The Bachelor, the, they it just I felt like with all the lights on and all the glitz and glamour surrounding it, this isn't reality. It's just kind of dumber scripted it's like scripted with dumb people type of programming and i never got into it the way for me that i because i initially had the same reaction when the reality boom like really was like uh like leveled into place like in the late 2000s um was i got into it through early seasons of the real world which um was very much, like, non-scripted and was, like, real people. But what happened was that, like, after the linguistics of reality TV became, like, popularly accessible and the American ethos, like, fully sank in, people just immediately began producing themselves when they appeared on these shows. So I've always, like, been interested in, like, the layer between, like, the performance of the self and the actual, like, being that would naturally react in these situations... And it's become more and more, like, difficult to observe as we, like, spiral more into permanent, like, online performance. So, like, reality TV, like, these days is, like, completely fake gloss. Like, if you watch Selling Sunset, it is so anti-real that it actually feels, like, more pressingly real than ever before. But, like... The Kardashians are, are kind of the geniuses of reality TV. Them and, like, Nathan Fielder, for me, for the way that they, like, know how to put on the air and, like, know how to put on the mask. It's, like, a very, like, Japanese kabuki kind of performance of their own being that I find totally genius. But, yeah, the the era of um, people just uh, reacting without understanding the camera on them I think ended on RuPaul's Drag Race season four, and one day you'll understand what I'm talking about. When one I day that. when I'm <laughs> one day when I'm proper when I'm strapped to a chair and I, I, and the clampers are put on my eyes. And the I'm Clockwork full. Orange. I'm gonna my, do that to you, and I'm yeah, gonna like suck your dick while you're doing it to like sissy hypno you into like being into Drag Race. You're gonna come out like an oomphy going, "Yes, my fucking wig on the runway, oomphy." It's giving. <laughs> uh, it's giving. It's it's it, it's better to it's better to 
giving than to receive. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, you know, every fucking person now says giving, 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 giving all it's the time. Giving, yeah, it's giving, giving. It, it gives the gives. It's giving, give. Yeah, I and mean, none of them are tops. They're all talking about giving, giving. They're not tops. Because it comes from, like, ballroom, dear. It's like when you're walking in a category and you're giving the category. Uh, so it's like, for I instance, the category is like business realness. So uh-huh. you walk in a suit and you do your little walk on the runway, okay. and then they're like, "It's giving salary man realness, honey." Right? Do you see? Yeah, I know. They it's all not have... about. No, I know it's not about <laughs> like, a position. Yeah. I know. I knew it wasn't about a position. I just thought it was funny uh-huh. that all the all this giving talk is being is being bandied about by bottoms. That's all. <laughs> but um, I think so too. But yeah. But nevertheless, yeah, the, so, you know, and again, even the Kardashians, God bless them. God bless them, um, you know. You have to like them because they're your people. So they're my people. I know I'm in good company. I mean, I, you don't I, have a choice. How can I speak against Kim Kardashian when she's literally my grandmother? So, uh, you know, I can't. But, but, but I don't, my point is I haven't watched a show, so I don't quite, I don't understand. I have no uh-huh. issue with but I don't understand their genius. I don't understand it in the sense of the you know art you know technically, uh, technique wise in terms of reality TV. Uh, but I have watched Nathan, and so I can, with him, I totally understand what he's doing, mm-hmm. and what he's doing, in basically in both in starting with Nathan for you, which is what made it you know which took it to that next level. Not every episode hit that next level. Not every episode hit the back wall, um, but. Um, uh, several of them did and then of course his final his his finale with the uh with the uh uh bill gates impersonator made it clear what he was up to this entire time or at least what he what he decided he should be up to i mean a lot of this is discovery in the process like i that's another thing i'd love to ask talk to him about is where did he like how did he conceive of it in the beginning because it would have been plenty it would have been plenty to just literally do this for gags because a lot of the episodes were just pure funny. I mean, the very first episode is about a poo flavored ice cream. He's trying to get he's trying to he convinces a a local ice cream store in L.A. to try out a poo flavored ice cream. Literally, that's his first mm-hmm. episode of Nathan for you. And it's like, you know, that's obviously farcical. And he literally the funny part of the show, the episode is that he gets him to do it. He gets him to actually put on this experiment. It does not work. And, you know, whatever. Laughter is had by, by, by all and whatever, whatever. But, but when, he, when, when if human, when real emotions start to come into play, he actually does pursue them. And he, and he runs with them instead of running away from them, which is what's really interesting. Um, and there's always, a, you know, he's playing a character in Nathan For You. He's playing... He is playing the character of the, you know, his comedic persona, the hipster who he would he would frequently kind of put himself in a position where he's trying to make friends, where mm. the, the the weirdos who have followed his game into level seven or level eight of the of the uh, of the gag uh, are now so fucking weird that he has no choice but to he has no choice but to kind of bring himself to their level. And reduce himself so he doesn't. It doesn't seem like what he's doing is cruel or epic, you know, epic irony. He reduces himself to their level by by making himself seem like a lonely motherfucker who also just needs friends. 
that's the part that I actually would never bought about Nathan. Like I, I was, I was only judging, I was judging every move for its comedic value and not like, I wasn't taking it seriously when Nathan claimed to be lonely and actually wanting to connect with these fucking, you know, morons that he had, that, that are following him up a, up a mountain. You know what I mean? Like I never bought that. I never did either. I always like thought that was where like the performance became most opaque was like when he was doing like this awkward, emasculated, like gangly nerd thing because <clears throat> like the amount of willpower it takes to do this hyper method acting where he is like 100% like quote in character unquote uh, in really lowbrow heinous situations that are often like intense, you know, the amount of willpower it takes would not result in like some like awkward like faux autistic like nerd or something right. so i never like quite bought that either um and it's interesting like the way that that becomes kind of the main plot point of like the rehearsal yeah it becomes the main plot point because i think and that's what's so what's so fascinating is he actually uh somehow he he this time actually does break the fourth wall and you you start to believe and you start to see or he starts to reveal to you exactly what he is. Um, and I think that's because of the we, you know, we'll, we'll discuss why. But it that is a that is the arc that I see drawing from Nathan for you to to the rehearsal is like that whole thing. And it's, it's partly it's because he's not partly because it's it centers upon something very real. And not something where, you know, he's being, a, he's not just being a lonely 30 year old pretending to be lonely in LA, you know, like pretending to want to be friends with random mm -hmm. idiots. Like that's the part that is just not, you know, nobody could, nobody would buy that anyone actually wants to be friends with some, nobody who's Nathan, who has his own Comedy Central show is actually seeking to spend time with absolute morons um, at the gas station, like for mm -hmm. reals that's just not it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't take but in the rehearsal it is absolutely now that he's 38 uh and and given the stakes of what he's doing in the rehearsal and given the degree to which he's messing with people's lives in the rehearsal um not necessarily messing but i mean you know engaging in people's lives given all of that it opens a portal um, and it opens a portal that that is it makes me very excited for what he's going to do next with the with, with the show. But mm -hmm. it, it opens a portal where you actually are now engaging with you're actually engaging with reality, not just reality TV, but reality itself in a in a in, in a pretty visceral level. And it's and, and the portal is very similar to like what how the fourth wall was broken in your episode with bob saget <laughs> mm -hmm. you know yeah I which is what so <laughs> which is what drove me crazy when i just watched your fucking episode right now before coming on like it's it's you're it's almost like you reappear as a younger person in in the rehearsal um have you seen i want to get i mean i I'm keep pushing it because i <laughs> uh -huh. i keep pushing it because i want to kind of get get into the rehearsal from episode to episode before we reach the end the end have you seen um uh how to with john wilson no okay well then there's no need to talk about it but it's it's uh, you know, <laughs> i have not seen it no but it's it's something where 
And how to a John Wilson is is this? Um, I, I mean, the main voice of that is John Wilson, who's this guy who mm-hmm. takes a camera everywhere he goes, and he stitches these all this footage of basically New York, various things in New York. He stitches them into these montages, um, and in, with with vo- with very funny voiceover narration into certain like little essays or storylines that each episode is a tw- thirty minute uh, manifestation of. Um, one of them, for example, in season one was about the, uh, anti-circumcision movement. And, you know, he kind of just happens upon somebody who be, who, who is an anti-circumcision fanatic. And next thing you know, we're listening to his album of anti-circumcision songs and we're, we're looking at his foreskin regrowth process and all this sort of shit. But otherwise it's like, Uh it's a very documentary style thing, but with a, with an extremely, um, singular bend and voice and, and another one where just little moments in the day are investigated when they offer they offer some kind of invitation to him um and that's mm-hmm. kind of where that's kind of where you see the style of i mean you see the style of of Nathan Nathan's an executive producer on it and uh you see kind of you see it there you see it i'm sure in the framing in the framing of the episodes that have so much random footage that you know stitched together but but the way they're framed into these really funny little adventures is um, bears a major Nathan relation. I mean, the the, the reason I'm kind of like going on and on about it is because, in certain ways, it's it's very similar to what I what I do with my podcast. Um, at least as I have realized it in the last year, because what I'm doing a lot of now, it's not, it's not like I'm not going around randomly recording things. Um, but I do record often organic, just experiences of life. And then I listen to them over later when I try to edit them into something. And then I try to like, I try to understand what happened in these otherwise, you know, completely forgotten evenings. Like, the, 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 the spookiest part of what I've been doing is that I now have a record of so many evenings. Now, I'm not talking about, like, when I'm talking to someone famous where, you know, I went in with an agenda and I have a, I want a, you know, entertaining thing and get, get, some, get certain, like, and that's, not, that's obviously a, I would never forget something like that. But although even those at some point fade in memory, but I wouldn't have, those are kind of like intentional, but of the ones where I'm just out with, with some friends, um, or I'm meeting up with some friends for the first time even, or, and, and just hanging out. And in those particular episodes, oftentimes something extremely dramatic ends up happening, but whether it does or it doesn't, I'm like, these are, these are experiences that would be completely forgotten in my life if I didn't record them and then turn them into episodes and then attempt to frame, frame them literary, you know, with some literary kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, 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 mechanism in, in my intros. And, and I'm like, and a lot of the times they reveal all kinds of crazy shit that I would have never picked up on in the moment. Um, and that it's almost, it almost defies belief even in review, like the, the, just the weird synchronicities which I often talk about, I mean, which I often point out, the, the, the weird predictions that then end up, the, the way certain themes and 
uh, certain like almost with, within every single encounter, there are like little mini prophecies that come true later in the encounter, like without us even mm-hmm. realizing it. And I don't know if it's just me or it's just the fact that I'm kind of, you know, looking and now I have it internally, uh, I'm internally wired to try and 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 uh, uh, reprise certain themes from earlier in the night, later in the night when they when they when opportunities uh, arise, or whether it's just how reality is, like how we are constantly scripting our own near future without even realizing it. Has this has is anything that I'm talking about ringing a bell to you in any way whatsoever? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and like. Um... You know, I, the first time I did an in-person episode, uh, there's like one I did like in my house, like in season one, a few of those. But then when I started like leaving the house, um, like field recorders and what have you, like I definitely started noticing the same thing. And like even recently when I was in Okinawa and I was recording that episode, when I was re-listening to it, um, I had a really uncanny moment because Andrew and I listened to the I'm So Popular episode and the Sirens episode like together, like after you recorded them. And... Yeah, it was really, it was really mirror-like and strange, but yeah, I think it it might not necessarily be, like, the urge to create a script, but rather kind of the experience of um, the world through this strange gift of language, because uh, having only a finite set of terms to turn your heart into a recognizable surface for someone else to interact with, it's such, like, a finicky and awkward and janky way of existing that is not like really perfect at all that i think these kind of patterns are you know want to appear and this actually reminds me of a really great miwa akihiro quote and she's uh my favorite drag queen of all time she made films with mishima yukio anakachi and i discussed her a little bit on um my episode with her back in july but uh loosely translated she writes uh Your words are you. Words reflect a person's heart, character, and thought process as they are. It's just like the cells that make up who you are. And it's, uh, when you're observing and commenting and framing and putting out semi-regularly these, uh, recorded instances of you speaking and creating yourself with words, like, it is an uncanny experience. And, uh, that's, you know, why I like reality TV and the Kardashians and everything, because it's that, like, literalized and made as painfully lucid as possible. And it's always interesting, you know, I, I something I encounter now that I've been doing this so regularly and that just out of sheer, um, out of sheer responsibility to my operation, I have to be, you know, even when I don't feel like it, I do have to have my recorder near to hand uh, sometimes I just whip out my phone if I don't have my recorder, uh, if, if mm-hmm. something is happening. And, you know, there is a certain voice in my head that's that says, uh, you know, you're being you're you've you've turned your life into a fishbowl. You're 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 the <laughs> fucking Truman Show. What the fuck is going on here? Can't you just live spontaneously? And and there is that, you know, there is that suspicion among others, too, because I've whipped it out in times when people don't expect it. Um, and it's like, what are you, is everything fucking content? Now, I, yeah, everyone always says that. Is everything like, are you just like, 
when people don't understand the grand scope of it, they reduce you to a, quote take seller unquote, or like they're like <laughs> disgusted by the fact that you're like doing this like long form process. And it's like I was doing this before I was like putting it out publicly when I was writing in my diary, which like I've read from on my show. Like the idea of this is that I'm creating like a life record and reorganizing my life through art that's important to me and through uh, questions I have about the nature of our universe around us. And it's like. Yeah, obviously, like, okay, I'm, it's not just content. I'm, like, I'm on my holy mission to, like, create myself. Like, I'm trying to remake reality for me. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And they obviously, I, I understand that people are unaccustomed with that, what that holy mission is uh, when they are not on a holy mission themselves that they recognize yet. But um, I, I, I sympathize with, mm. their, with their kind of nervousness about the whole thing especially since i'm specifically engaging people who are normal and just part of my everyday yeah. life i'm not i mean I, I i tell them what i'm doing but but they're not i don't expect them to be fucking performers obviously and i i don't want them to perform i'm mm -hmm. trying I, I you know i would hope that they trust me that i'm doing this for holy mission reasons and not because i'm like selling their little moments of uh, uh, unguarded moments for for dollars and cents because that's not what's happening. <laughs> like it's no, not. I've, I've been tr I'm trying to do the opposite. Like I've been trying to kill the performer for like over like a year and a half. Like I remember like the first time I became conscious that like Zach Langley Chichi was like a character was way back like halfway through my second season. I was like, oh, I'm like putting on a voice. I'm like behaving a certain way that's like not really like how I usually would, and it's um. It's not something you do out of malice or, you know, some strange, scheming Jewish plot, you know? <laughs> Nothing like that. <laughs> Judaic more, as I, you may be. Judaic as I am. Heeb like, as thou might. Nothing like that. Yes, heeb as thou <laughs> might, might be. <laughs> Actually, my mom just sent me this Hanukkah card in the mail. And oh, that's she so said, cute. Dear Zach, in honor of your updated knowledge of your family's Jewish background. <laughs> it always, you know, it's always every time you're, it's, it, that knowledge always is found somewhere along the way when we're trying to find that next rung in the ladder of our careers. We just discover some Jewish ancestry. It just always happens that way. Christopher Hitchens exactly. discovered it. It just always comes at the right showbiz moment. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm really trying to kill the performer thing. Like, that's the whole point of Sirens, too, is that like we're not on topic. We're just talking like there's nothing produced. It's just... The, the recorded audio of two people talking right. often with like 15 minutes of people struggling to fix their audio like <laughs> i'm doing my best to like yeah. you know defeat this uh and, creator urge but yeah and that was my you know. um that was my you know kind of first rule uh, when beginning this thing was that okay the reason the reason why it will see it will be sustainable is that I will not have to uh, uh, be Act, the performer yeah. constantly I will not have to come up with you know material for every single episode I will not have to uh, plot these things out from you know point A to point Z um, uh, but and and I also can kind of trust myself to be interesting without doing without being too intentional because the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is that for years and years and years and years now maybe forever literally maybe since i was a toddler i have always been kind of somewhat naturally a performer i am always mm. going off and people are always like 
like for years and years, this has been the case. Like when like uh, uh, people have always been like, I, we're hanging out at the pool or whatever, and people are like looking at me as if I'm a as I'm going on, you know, I'm just doing my, th I'm going off on something, and people yeah. are kind of like are like, why are you a What do you do, stand up? Blah, blah, blah. And like, and this has always been the reaction to, I just think I, I'm, that's my style of communication. And I have this, I, I have always had this urge to kind of ex verbally explore or, or entertain in normal circumstances, in, in yeah. everyday circumstances. Obviously, I'm exactly the same way, um, as evidenced on nationally syndicated television. So, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my, no, but it's God. like, I'm I like the I'm the son this. of my mother. Like, she, you know, was a you know faded, uh, like didn't make it soap opera star in the coked up, you know, 1980s LA. Like, you know, who got uh, into a nice uh, traditional marriage with a gruff fisherman and uh, like. I turned out, like, to be, like, a cabaret, like, faggot. Like, of course it would happen that way. I have been performing uh, since I, like, learned how to individuate myself with words. Like, it's <laughs> just been that forever. Yeah. I, I There's a video of every time I, every time I question whether, you know, I try to find, like, an origin point as to how I became, because it's easy to trace certain origin points, like, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of educational point would be when my mom decided to put me in just as a, as a thing to do. Um, although she wanted to, she literally did it on purpose to actually get me to open up because after my parents split up when I was four, mm -hmm. my extreme exuberance that I demonstrated up to that point apparently became, I became, I really, I really like fell into a shell. Um, mm. I don't remember this. I don't rem you know, I don't remember the difference in my muscle memory because it's it's something that's observable and like you're not looking at yourself as a 5-year-old. But mm. according to everyone around me, like I suddenly became really shy. Um and I went whereas up till the age of 4, I was Mr. like ta -da, da da I was like putting on shows for people. <laughs> I was just enter I was entertaining vast amounts of relatives from like the age of 9 months. Um and there was a fucking video of me and Christmas around that time, I guess before the shine is hit, where I'm literally just, I'm just singing a Christmas song that I'm making up out of thin air, and I'm going on and on and on and on and on and on, just for the sake of attention. I'm, I'm like making up the lyrics as I go along, and I'm dancing around. Uh, it was a, it was a common tactic I would use to try to wrestle some attention away from my newborn sister when she was stealing it all away from me just by virtue of existing. <laughs> well, meanwhile, yeah. I'm putting on fireworks. I'm like juggling. I'm doing cartwheels. I'm putting on songs and doing all this. No, they're oh, but there's cute little, there's cute little Romy over here. Uh, just just sucking on my mom's boob. There, she's getting all the attention. So there's videos of me like trying to like hit a hammer on like a toy hammer on her head just so I can get some like Bart Simpson some attention <laughs> in yeah. those years. So I'm sure that partly contributed to it too. But I was also that way before she came around. I was just like, hey, remember what you guys remember what you guys were into before? What is this? Um, what is this new TV show you're watching called New Baby? Um, but yeah, I look at these points and that all proceeds when I went, did acting workshops at the age of nine or so after I supposedly got shy again, where I do visibly, I know I was visibly taught how to not have straight stage fright. Like those acting mm -hmm. workshops, you, we would put on, we would, they would, you know, we would do, um, we were like six weeks and then you'd put on a play. And 
I never was cast in a big role. I never had that like little actor. Uh, he's a great actor type of. They would ca- They would know exactly who to cast in the in the mm-hmm. lead role. The lead role would be in every scene, and all the others would just kind of be in one scene. Um, and I was always just in like one scene. Um, and the moment that I excelled was I, I once won like I once got funniest person uh, award whatever because I had the line that got the most laughs and I get delivered uh-huh. it decently enough. And the line was I'll never forget. Uh, the line is where I go. I go. I once forgot to fe- feed. I once forgot to feed my goldfish for a whole week. What happened? He died. Ha, 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 ha. Everyone cracked. Everyone up. would just say, laughter and suit ringing through the through the Santa Monica Playhouse. But the but the moment that I just re- remembered recently, where I more more germane to my nature is the one where I just remembered this recently. It was a the worst play of them all, the worst session of them all. It was called Calamity Jane, and the fucking music cue didn't work. So where we when a song was music was supposed to start playing and the main character was supposed to start singing a song, the music did not play. Someone was asleep at the wheel in the back, in the control room or whatever. So we're just Uh standing there awkwardly, you know, a bunch of kids, it's silence, no one knows what to do. And I just decide to start, I fill the air with some, I make up some bullshit dialogue and just fill the air until the music starts. And afterwards, everyone was like, in the the crowd, they thought the mistake was mine because they thought that I forgot my lines and that's what the silence was for. And then I started bullshitting. But no, I was actually just stepping in to save the show, which <laughs> thanklessly, that's what I was doing. I didn't forget my fucking lines. So, yeah, anyway, I'm proud of that. Um, that's where cute. were we? Yeah, where were we? Um, um, so, anyway, yeah. We that were was talking m- about producing ourselves and uh, the yeah. birth of the perpetual artist and the take selling. And yeah, so, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. guess the, like just. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I mean that. That's yeah. Exactly. What I'm trying to say is like, um, I've f- following that the notion, like any opportunity I kind of detected to kind of to make an impression in a in an organic moment in life was mm-hmm. one that I would be I was inclined to take, basically, much like you. Yeah, it's just how I've been, and I mean, and it wasn't enough for me in America. I couldn't feel like you know, alien superstar quite enough, so I had to move to Japan so I could be extra special, gleaming bright, you know, star here. So well, well it's so, like, yeah, uh-huh. after after the reality show, what was your, because in the reality show, I mean, I'm sure you're aware yeah. there are cameras and you're just lighting up, but you're also so sincerely excited about the idea that Bob Saget is there at your camp and that you're like showing him what camp is like. You're so yeah. earnestly, you're so into it, and you're so... But one thing is that I truly, earnestly loved summer camp. That was, like, the only time of my life I was happy. Like, uh, I was not the most uh, beloved child in junior high school or high school. Or I was in high school. It was, like, up until my freshman year, and, like, that was when I was still 12. So it was, like, what, 7th, 8th grade or something? even younger than that. I don't remember how that works. But, like, my mom had sent me to the summer camp she went to as a child herself. And uh, she had had a very rough relationship with her German father. And uh, the only time she uh, ever was happy was uh, when she was uh, at summer camp for eight weeks every year. And she, in fact, gave me a middle name uh, based off a mountain in the area because it was, like, such an important place to her. And so when I went and was, like, 
gleaming Miss Alien superstar at summer camp, and, like, it was so easy to make friends, and, like, everyone is, uh, you know, exactly how I expressed myself on the show. Like, it was just, I was being 100% real, because I just fucking loved camp. It's so touching watching <laughs> this episode. I don't that it's so cute. Oh my god! I paid. Uh, it's totally worth the four dollars or whatever the fuck it is to wa- buy that episode off of Amazon. Um, uh, I, and I, I will try to play the audio when I, when I before I, I will try to add the audio of your big sp- <laughs> multiple speeches in there. Um, uh-huh. It's so funny. I mean, and and the, and and like the the beautiful thing about that episode is that. You, you know, I mean, so again, to remind people, this is an this Bob Saget's, at, you know, in a summer camp here. He's never been to summer camp, and the and he's uh-huh. kind of just going through the summer camp tropes with these kids, um, and he gets completely blindsided by by the Zach show because uh-huh. Zach is so excited that that uh, at some point he gives a that you give this really emotional speech about how much you love summer camp. And uh-huh. I took the screenshot, so I, I will, I will uh, oh, read it. Oh, God. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> this is, I feel like 70 screenshots because this was just too good. Um, and hold on. Where the words like, like, uh, um, hang on, hang on. He's so he at some point someone Bob is sitting outside, uh, like he's talked to his mother, telling her about how like the mem like how he's kind of like he's being jog he's having weird reverse nostalgia for something he never did as a kid, which is go to summer camp. Mm-hmm. He's telling you about this. He's asking you for like a little bit of a little bit of a wrapping uh, uh, a little bit of gift wrapping on this on the episode kind of comments yeah. about what you guys think about summer camp and Zach goes, no. <gasps> Home and camp are very different things. Here, there is no such thing as worry. And there's no such thing as hate. I just have friends here. I just have friends. Camp is one of the most beautiful places on earth. I can just be myself without having to question my thinking. If you can enjoy who you are, I think... Uh... You finished that line. I, I didn't take the screenshot. If you can enjoy who you are, I think something, something, something you say. I'll find it and I'll play Ugh. it. And then Bob goes with a voiceover looking at you. And you can tell finally this guy is taking this fucking fucking uh, cash grab show seriously for a minute. <laughs> Zach was my new guru. <laughs> yeah, then he says later I'm going to like write a series of and uh, then later, books. Yeah, later uh-huh. he says that you're going to write a series of... Zach is probably going to write a series of self-help books that I will live by. <laughs> well, he died, and, unfortunately. And he died, unfortunately. And he also said that he was hoping you would cast him in your movies, which you would eventually I know. make. Well, the funny thing is that Leo and I, uh, the little blonde boy who uh, was being... Okay, so the, the, the secret to what happened here was Leo that, just like, liked, true... Leo just liked it on Twitter, by the way, the, my post. Oh, yeah. And he made a I comment. Love Leo. Leo, Leo, who is... So Leo is... Um, the friend, the straight friend of Zach, who made, uh, from summer camp, who is in the fucking episode as well. There was a fork in the road to be real or to be a star. Zach chose to be a star, and he now shines among them. That's the <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, is like my earnest love for camp was rivaled only by 
my, this like strange spirit that was conjured up in me by the presence of cameras and even the most fleeting like moment at fame. And I knew I was like producing myself and going insane, spinning girl, spinning world. Like I couldn't help myself because like, as I mentioned, being a pre-natural performer and then also like being uh, enthusiastic about this place I truly loved, I just like, I was going insane. I gave them so much fucking shit you know, they could have, you know, cut a million things and put it all in there. I like the the weeping, the crying, oh, the, um, at the, the, end, the pawn site speeches. Oh, yeah. When, I, when I'm like breaking down in tears, I do not even know how this happened. Oh, my <laughs> God. At the end, when he's saying Bob Saget is saying goodbye, Zach is just overwhelmed with emotion. And yeah, you're crying. I'm so crying. <laughs> and you're crying. And the camera is loving you, of course, because, you know, uh-huh. everyone else in the, like, for, God bless them. All the other kids are just being, you know, snot eating, just sort of stick figures. But Zach is just like breaking down, dying. And it, and it reminds me of, it, 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 I, I, you know, you're older. I don't think I would have, like, that's how I would have been at five like if if i was in such a scenario i that's literally how i was with grown-ups like with with strangers that were i was in some way enchanted with beginning with my grandmother uh who my grandmother or my one grandmother no longer with us who uh basically raised me every day that first like you know year and a half two years of life every night my parents would come every weeknight my parents would come take me to take to take me home from her mm-hmm. and i would cling to her bawling because i didn't want to leave i did not want to leave my wonderful grandmother um i was so sad and so it reminds me of that it reminds me of when Mm. many other cases when i was when i was five i'm gonna go i would go to um that's kind of when i started going to the basketball games with my dad ucla basketball and football games and that the one the very first year i started going ucla's best player ed o'bannon was was hurt all year and he was like, he had a broken leg. And so he was sitting, he would always be sitting on the bench before the team came out with his massive leg in a cast, you know, visibly just sticking out, right? And I would always go mm. down before every game. I would always, I was five. I would always go down and talk to him because I felt bad for him because of his leg. And I would just have like, I would, I don't know what the fuck I was talking. I don't know what I was talking about. I have no idea what I was talking about. I would engage in conversation with this six foot nine basketball star every uh-huh. single game and it was like the same sort of I, I don't know like I I would I would similarly just get really attached to, to to people I mean do you remember what it is that got you so attached to Bob was it just the was it the surroundings it was, just was it like, Bob himself okay like I think it was um like the presence of cameras like really just like flipped a switch in me and I like like I don't even know what it was it was primordial uh some great western phantasm like possessed me and like started like animating me and like making me like dance on my own and i became like completely incapable of handling my emotions i was you know like like leo said it was like zach tried to like choose to be real or be a star and like i decided to be a star and so i just started you know losing my mind and it's i don't think i've ever experienced that sensation since then ever like no matter how many drag gigs I've done in front of you know several hundred people or like successes on my podcast I have never like felt like my 
brain expanding into like the lust for fame like Lana Del Rey as a 12 year old like prepubescent gay child thing like I don't know it it really was like a bizarre spiritual experience and I I really struggle to watch the episode now like I I everyone says it's like cute and sweet and I agree with them it's like very charming but it's also to me like very scary because I have absolutely no agency or control in in the, in the in any scene of that ever. Are you claiming that you were groomed by the cameras? No, oh, I okay. wish I was. Okay. Like, why didn't I get groomed? Why did that not lead me to like be like? I'm not gonna go there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I was like, I had such a hard time developing into a like confident. Um, like, sexually active gay person. Like, I get, like, my first boyfriend was, like, what, three or four years after that? And uh, I basically looked like how I looked, like, when I was 12 in this series until I was, like, 16. And it took, um like, my best, like, fag hag in high school to, like, cut my hair, buy me, like, clothes that weren't, like, hideous. And, like, yeah, it took me so long to become, like, confident. I would have, like, done anything for um Hollywood to have, like, whisked me off into beautiful boy island and like never let me leave but something here isn't adding up uh which is what's that that? well you say that you 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 the performer took over and you chose to be a star over reality but Uh also you're being very real in this episode that's what i'm saying it's it's because i like i loved camp so much like completely genuinely that's like the piece that makes this not come across as like attention whoring evil Um, is because, like, my love for camp was really real. Like, that was, like, the place I cared most about in my life. Leo is, at this point, like, my oldest friend I still keep in touch with. We've been friends for, like, 15 years now, basically. And um, everything I said was completely genuine, but it was met also by that, like, ghost possessing me and, like, taking me for a spin. (laughs) But you don't see. I think if, both can be true. No, if, well, that's but that's exactly the point of this conversation is that both are true. Yeah, that's exactly the point of this conversation, because yeah. it's a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent sincere. I mean, it would have been you would have been so annoying if you were trying huh. to be a show off in that show. Like, if I mean, I'm sure obviously there's an editing room going on, but like, yeah. I don't know what, you know. Because Leo remembers it that I was the most annoying person in the room, like, sucking up all the air. And I'm sure he's right to a degree. (laughs) But Leo also, like, um, something they didn't put on the show is that every every summer, Leo and I did a skit for the talent show. And we called it Late Night Copper Creek, which is the name of the camp. And uh, I was the, like, straight man, like... uh, you know, late night TV host, and he was, like, a plethora of guests, and he would come out and, like, do stupid shit, and, like, I would be like, hey, what are you doing, you know? And so the funny thing is that the our dynamic was depicted in reverse on this show because mm-hmm. I couldn't stop talking, mm-hmm. basically. So, right. yeah, but I think you're right. Because I was being, you know, genuine and passionate about something I loved, which is a philosophy I still hold on to to this day, I think I come across as palatable and not, like, wicked and obnoxious. I mean, it's clear that you're... It, 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 to me, it's... Okay, watching it without knowing... I mean, I know... I have heard your conversations long ago on your podcast about the show with Leo. Yeah. Because you talked about it with Leo on, when he was on your uh, 
live. In fact, that was like the first Field Recorder episode I remember listening of ISP, where you guys are in some sort of a restaurant or bar, and you're talking with Leo uh, in, in a restaurant or bar. Oh, this, no, I recorded this. I recorded Leo over uh, over Zoom. He was never was. part of, he was never uh, in Japan with you? He was in Japan with me, but it was before I started my podcast, so I never got him. Like, Oh, uh, okay. Maybe then there was another never friend in Japan yeah. that, that had a very low voice. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> he, so, so. He's in LA. You can go fuck him. He's like, uh, he's loose these days with men, so. I thought he's straight. He was. He's been very loose in the last, like, three years or so. Very interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll follow him. Um, so, you're, yeah, to me, like, I'm, I'm trying, you know, watching the show at, uh-huh. uh, without knowing how much of a, how, how you know, how annoying you might be off uh, in the, on the cutting room floor, it just felt to me like, for, well, you were so excited that Bob Saget is there that yes. naturally speaking, um, like who wouldn't be? Why wouldn't you be excited? It's unnatural yeah. not to be excited that the guy from Full House is at your summer camp. I know, and he's like, I everyone knows who he that, is. You know, it's ambient like American noise. Full House. It's like just like a part of like the air conditioning sound. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's exactly. It's been it's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. this is some years later, but still it's, it's a major, and he's being the character, you know, he's being the, as he is, but I've seen him in real life. Um, I saw him once do stand up, but that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. The other time, the one, the time I saw him in real life is when I was trick or treating one time in Palisades when I was whatever. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably 10, 11 years old. There he was with his kids and Pat, like in the same trick or treating block as we were just being normal being a dad um and so i've seen him in real life he is he's very much you know his his like he was always like as as is alluded to early in the episode uh his stand-up is super super raunchy but it's like raunchy mm-hmm. in such a such a like dad being raunchy way that it's almost yeah. it's almost as down home as him being on the full house because yeah because well, first of all he's a very you know he's a He's a super, he's one of the, those comedians who came up in the same circuit as all the rest of them, and he became super, he made a ton of money doing the corniest shit ever, which is Full House. And so there right. is a, it's not so much shame, but there is a certain like, there's a certain like, there's a joke about that, which just general lingering joke, which is like, haha, that I, that I, a person who came up being as, gr- as gross as I could possibly be for laughs, made money as this most wholesome possible figure. And now I want to prove to myself and to the world that, by the way, I'm still the gross guy. I'm still just a gross comedian who came up for laughs. I'm not some sort of fucking perfect dad. Um, so I, it's a charming thing, game, kind of little routine that he carried through the rest of his life. From what I understand, extremely generous to everyone around him, to all the comics that he ever worked with. Like, he was always, no one had an ill word to say about him as far as I'm aware. Um, when he mm. died, everyone was so sad because he was like such a, he was such a sweet figure to everyone in in, in his world. Um, and so you're naturally excited to see him. And you're yeah. naturally, ex- you're naturally like heartbroken when he's gonna when it's gonna end (laughs) (laughs) my dream is over you know it's like the lights shutting down in the studio or something and leaving me in the twin peaks like um audrey white room you know like i think 
the key to, well, I don't know, because I'm not successful or famous or anything, obviously, but, like, to be an interesting person as a performer is, like, you have to be naturally passionate and, like, a little, like, perverse and, like, strange about um, something, and then the other, and, like, really, like, excited about, like, the world or have, like, some animating force behind you, and then the other 50% is to, like, let yourself get carried away by the artifice and, like, the sparkling dreams of Hollywood or whatever, like, whenever people criticize Mulholland Drive, they always, like, argue that it's, like, a nihilistic, like, bleak, like, death sentence to to Hollywood, and I actually find it to be the opposite. I find it to be, like, beautiful and glistening, and actually that, like, death at the end makes her even more ultra-glamorous than she ever would have been otherwise. And so, like, you have to let that artifice um, animate you at least somewhat. And I think that's why my appearance on this show is not grating, is because it's balanced. (laughs) Well, I have some additional thoughts about the uh-huh. reality of your uh, of your performance on the show, but I think it's best to discuss them because they relate, they tie in so so um, neatly. I feel to the big reveal in in uh, the Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal. Um, so I think it's 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 about time to take a break and return for the paywall segment of this conversation. Ooh, um, fine. Because, yeah, because because we can't let the we can't let the the whatever the audio version of looky lose get all the get, get you know hear everything we have to say um so the spicier paywalled section will will ensue after our little smoke break what do you say sounds delightful i can't wait to spill all of the tea <laughs> armenian <laughs> all that tea that's been boiling and whistling in the background right now oh um, yes so yeah if you're listening on the free feed uh you see you on the other side of the paywall. Subscribe at patreon.com slash filthy Armenian for the rest of this episode and also for another 30 plus uh, paywalled episodes with lots of intimate detail. Um, and thank you for listening, by the way, regardless. And Happy New Year as well. Okay, we'll be back shortly to discuss. Uh, Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal and Zach Langley Chichi's Reality. <laughs> I never went to camp. Uh, my mother uh, never, uh, and, and I actually talked to her today because I told her that it's, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I missed out on it because I'm doing it <laughs> now. You, you like this in some ways more than when you're... It, you know, home and camp are really different things. Here there is no such thing as worry. And there's other things hate. I just have friends here. Camp is one of the most beautiful places on earth, in my opinion. It is. Yeah. I can just be myself without having to question my thinking. If you can enjoy um, your life and not have to put up with me. (laughs) If you can enjoy who you are, I think that is the key to a good life. Where do you think you got that information? By coming to camp. Really? Yeah. Now that you're here, you're just like another one of our cabin mates. As two weeks go by and you get closer to your cabin, they become like your family, and I think you're part of your family now, too. Zach was my new guru. He had just summed up the essence of camp better than I ever could have. 